2 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 1, the Bible says, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained like precious faith with us by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord as his divine power has given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue by which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust but also for this very reason in other words because of all of this because of the exceeding great and precious promises that he has given to us because he has given us everything that pertains to life and godliness for this very reason giving all diligence that means pay attention and try as hard as you can add to your faith virtue to virtue knowledge to knowledge self-control to self-control perseverance to perseverance godliness to godliness brotherly kindness and to brotherly kindness love for if these things are yours and abound you will that's a promise right there you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ for he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins therefore Brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. Other, other, uh, other translations say you will never fail, you will never fall. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now just a reminder as we read through this passage of Second Peter, in the, the first chapter of Second Peter, uh, just a reminder to us that these principles, these very practical principles, are not something that God said he's going to do for us. These eight keys are not something that God says, listen, uh, I am going to bestow upon you. He tells us to do something with these things. First, we know that we have faith. If we accept the Lord Jesus Christ into our life, if we confess the Lord Jesus Christ with our mouth, amen, and then we, we make him, we, we say, Jesus, I repent, be Lord of my life. If we do that, we are changed, we are transformed, we have become like him, we have a new spirit, old things have passed away, behold, behold all things have become new, you have faith. He has given us a measure of faith. That's why he doesn't say, add to your life faith. He says, add to your faith. You already have it. Add to your faith virtue. We're talking about moral excellence. Have a standard in your life. Come on, somebody. Have a standard in your life that you live by. Moral excellence. And then he said, once you have that, add to your moral excellence, add to your virtue knowledge. You can't make it through life without knowing some things. We need to know the word of God. And we need to have both uh, spiritual and practical knowledge, folks. We need to know. We can't just go through life, well, duh, I don't know what's going on. No, we need to know what's going on. Have some knowledge. 
Parents, we try to teach our kids uh, to know, know how to, uh, I know we don't have checkbooks anymore, but uh, know how to, to work your money, <laughs> know how much change you should have back. Simple things, come on. We start from when they're young, know how to tie your shoe. You can do it. You don't have to ask me every time. Have some knowledge. And God is telling us that you need knowledge. You need to add to your faith virtue and add to your virtue knowledge. Spiritual knowledge and practical, physical knowledge. And then he comes to us today and says, look, <laughs> with that, you need to add to your knowledge self-control. Big word right there, self-control. Amen. Now, we know that these eight keys, through them, God's saying if we would do them, we will never fail, never fall, never stumble. Those are big words right there. Never fail, never fall, never stumble. I mean, it's something just to say the words and say, oh, it sounds cute and it sounds good. But if we take God for face value, which we should be doing anyway, if we take his word for face value, then uh, if you look it all up and you break it all down and you really get into it, you'll find out that it means you never fail. <laughs> you never fall. You never stumble. And that is impactful to me to know that I would never fail if I would do these things. Because the other side of that, what it brings back to me is if I do fall, if I do fail, if I do stumble, and God said, you'll never f fall, never fail, never stumble, all I got to do is go back and say, hmm, which one of these did I not do? Come on now. See, what I like about this is the fact that there's some skin in the game that I have. There's something that I can control. There's, there are things that I can do. So much of life uh, happens to you. So much of life, you know, it, what, what people say and say about you, a, a lot of that is just people doing what they do. You know, I mean, uh, what decisions that uh, politicians make, that's decisions they make uh, probably without consulting you in most cases. Uh, maybe through a vote, uh, maybe through a poll, but in most cases without consulting you. Uh, airline prices, th those are decisions that they make somewhere in a boardroom uh, that does not include uh, your opinion on how much they should be. Last I checked, unless anyone in here uh, is a CEO uh, or a CFO for an airline. I don't know if you are or not. Uh, but they make those decisions without you. So much of life happens uh, without your consultation. But there are some things here that God, through Peter, is giving you that you absolutely control, that you can do. Uh, he's, these principles and these guidelines, they must be adhered to to live a victorious life. God is promising us that you will have a victorious life if you will do these things. When you say victorious life, let me remind you, victorious uh, victory means this, the act of defeating an enemy. Uh, you've defeated an enemy. Can I just tell you this morning that sometimes that enemy is you? Come on now. Sometimes that enemy is the enemy in the mirror. Uh, come on. Jesus said, look, you're going to look and say, uh, we're, the kingdom of God is over here, it's over there. And he said, no, the kingdom of God is in you. And the violent take it by force. Where are you going to fight? The kingdom of God is in you. Here's where you need to be fighting. You need to be fighting this flesh. 
In fact, not sometimes the enemy is you. Many times, very often, the enemy is you and me. And so victory is the act of defeating an enemy. He's given us victory. Uh, remind you of these things over the world, over temptation, over sin and discord, depression and sickness. He's giving us victory over all of these things. But do you know that many of these things have to do with our own self-control? Our own self-control. Let's talk about that just for a moment. What is self-control? What is God saying through Peter here about self-control? Well, there's obvious uh, definition about it. Self-control, uh, as you would know, is the ability to control oneself, right? Obviously. But look at it further. In particular, one's emotions and desires. You can't be out of control with your emotions. I know some of us feel like, well, I just, I couldn't help it. I was just so emotional. Uh, but no, God is saying no. <laughs> you, Paul said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, with, through prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request be made known unto him. Don't just come to God all emotional. I, I understand that we're emotional, and God is a caring, loving God. He is. Don't get me wrong. I mean, if you come to God and you're just at the end of your rope and you're pouring out, I, I understand that God is not going to turn you away. That is not what I'm saying this morning. But God is trying to get us to a mature point uh, where we can control our emotions, where we can look in the mirror and say, stop being anxious, talking to yourself. Stop being anxious. Stop worrying. I know you want to worry, Michael, but stop worrying. The real me, my spirit, is going to control things. Because the real me, my spirit, is connected with the Holy Spirit. This flesh is not. I don't know what this flesh might do. If I'm left to myself, I don't know what I might, I don't know what I might say. I don't know what thoughts I might act on. Come on, somebody. But I got to say, stop being anxious. Be anxious for nothing. Self-control is the ability to control oneself, not someone else, not even... Look, not God controlling you. Now, we want to give, I surrender all. But God is saying, here, there's some, there's some time where you need to control yourself. In particular, your emotions and desires or the expression of them. Come on now, talking to myself. In one's behavior, especially, especially in difficult situations. Now, if we've got there, if we achieve that, if we know that we can walk through any situation and we have the ability just to stay calm and never lash out, never say anything uh, that's wrong, never be emotional, uh, sometimes we call it righteous indignation, uh, you know, never offend anybody, never take offense, no matter what someone says. That's part of self-control, too. That's, in fact, that's the bigger part of self-control is when somebody says something about you and you take offense and you want to say, well, I'm just going to give you the little piece of my mind that I have left. And God is saying, no, have self-control. This Greek word, inkrutia, here, it's, it means restraint over one's own impulses. You can't run a country unless you can run yourself. Mrs. Johnson told her husband, the president, how are you going to run the country if you have no restraint over your own self? And it's in all areas of our life. I know many of us don't want to hear it. I mean, I certainly don't. I certainly don't, uh, but it's in many areas of our life. It's, it's when we're emotional, we got to be able to control ourselves. Uh, habits, we have to be able to control ourselves. And dare I say, uh, even what we put in our body, eating. <laughs> when you're going for that fourth piece, 
a fourth piece of apple pie a la mode, come on, with four uh, scoops of Cool Whip on it, we need to be able to control ourselves. I'm talking to myself now. I don't think I'm just preaching at you. Come on. We have to be able to control ourselves. Here are some hindrances, though. As you go through, you say, well, yeah, you know, Pastor Mike, it's difficult to control myself. It's just difficult. But here's the thing. Since God said that you can do it, you must be able to do it. If he said through Peter, add to your knowledge self-control, if God, he knows what you can do and what you can't do. He knows the power that he has given to you. I mean, God is not stupid. I don't think, last I checked. I mean, God, I, God has never said, Michael, you know, go over there with your wife and get pregnant and have a baby. Why would God say that to me? He knows I'm not built to do that. He's not going to tell me to do something I can't do. If God, what I'm trying to tell you is if God said to do it, you can do it. You have the ability to do it through the Holy Spirit. You can be victorious by adding to your faith virtue and adding to your virtue knowledge and adding to your knowledge self-control. You can do this thing. But there are hindrances and we need to be able to recognize them. One hindrance to self-control is uh, we need to understand this very clearly. You're not born with it. You're not born with self-control. You don't have it. You don't come out of the womb. Uh, you're born in sin and shaped in iniquity. You're not born with self-control. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 7, verse 14. This is from the New Living Translation. He said, we know, this is very impactful here, we know that the law is right and good, but I am a person who does what is wrong and bad. This is the Apostle Paul saying this. Wrote most of the New Testament. Come on. I am not my own boss. He recognizes that. He recognizes that sin is his boss. He's talking about being in the flesh, by the way. You have to read the whole chapter. I do not understand myself. What Paul is saying here is without God, without self-control. I don't understand myself. I want to do what is right. But I do not do it. Instead, I do the very thing that I hate to do. Anybody relate? When I do the thing I do not want to do, it shows me that the law is right and good. So I am not doing it. Sin is living in me, doing it. I know that there is nothing good in me. That is my flesh, my flesh. For I want to do good, but I do not. I do not do the good I want to do. Instead, I am always doing the sinful things I do not want to do. If I am always doing the very thing I do not want to do, it means I am no longer the one that's doing it. He's talking about the real him, the sanctified uh, new pneuma. Come on, the breath of God that is in him. Uh, I, I am always doing the very thing I do not want to do. It means it, I am no longer the one who does it. It is sin that lives in me, that is this flesh. This has become my way of life. When I want to do what is right, I always do what is wrong. My mind and heart agree with the law of God, but there is a different law, watch now, at work, deep inside of me that fights with my mind. This law of sin holds me in its power because sin is still in me. There is no happiness in me, in the flesh. Who can, who can set me free from this body of death, from this old sinful self? God's law has the power over my mind, but still uh, has no power over my sinful old self. Paul did all of this lamenting. But look what he came to. Look what he came to. He said, you know, through all of that, I thank God that I can be free through Jesus Christ, 
our Lord. I recognize all of these things in my flesh and without the obedience to God, who I am without him. I recognize this, that there is no middle ground. There's no gray area. There's no, I'm basically good. You hear a lot of people, I'm basically good. I do good things. God should be okay with that. No, you're either 100% with God or you're 100% against him. You're either on the left or you're on the right. You're not straggling the line. If you're straggling the line, you're against him. Come on, that's some harsh words. But God wants all of you because he gave you all of him. And not only that, he doesn't just want all of you uh, that he can be a tyrant. He wants all of you because he knows the victorious way. He knows the victorious life that you will have. I came, Jesus said, that you would have uh, an abundant life, that you would have life and that more abundantly. And so that's why he's telling us self-control must be developed. It will not develop naturally. You can't sit around and say, well, one day I'll be able to control this. One day it's going to happen. Uh, you know, one day, one of these days, you know, it'll just be all right. It's not going to be all right unless you make it all right when we're talking about self-control. Remember, our series scripture, we just read it. Peter says, for if you do, do these things, you will never stumble. Let me tell you something. One of the things is you need to understand who you are in Christ. Your, your, your enemy wants you to, to keep you in an identity crisis. Your enemy wants to keep you in an identity crisis, but God wants you to know exactly who you are. He wants you to know exactly who you are, and better yet, whose you are. Listen to what Paul said in the next chapter, chapter 8. He said, for the Holy Spirit speaks to us and tells us, uh, our spirit, that we are children of God. He said, if we are children of God, we will receive everything he has promised us. It's a promise. If we are children of God, we will receive all of those things. We will share with Christ all the things that God has given to him. But we must share in his suffering. I'll talk about that. If we are to share his shining greatness... I am sure that our suffering now cannot be compared to the shining greatness that he is going to give to us. When, when Paul talks about our sufferings, you want to know one of the biggest sufferings that we must share? That is the suffering of this flesh. Because our flesh wants to do things a certain way. And, and if you suffer in the flesh, you'll be right with God. Paul says that later as well. That means you need to deny your flesh of certain things that it wants. So that the real you can have the things that God wants you to have. I want the things that God wants me to have. I want to be an overcomer. I want to be delivered. I don't want this thing that so easily besets me to beset me anymore. Come on. I, I want to be uh, on top. I don't want to be in poverty. I want to be healthy. I want to be wise. Come on. I want to be happy. I want to be fruitful. I want to be prosperous. You want to be all of those things. You got to deny the flesh over here because the flesh is going to take you down a different road. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof leads to what? Death and destruction. But God's way leads to righteousness. It leads to all of those things that are in the kingdom of God. We're talking about the kingdom of God on Wednesdays. And how his way, when he said that, we, we use it so much as a cliche. The God said, my ways are so far above your way. Yeah, we use it as a cliche. We use that scripture, that passage, uh, when it's convenient for us. 
When something happens and we don't understand, well, you know, God's ways are so far above our ways. We need to use that passage of Scripture when we're talking about self-control. I don't want to go back for the third piece of cake. I don't want to give, talk back to that person who just talked to me. I don't want to lose control and be angry. Why? Because God's ways are so far above my ways. That's when we need to apply it. You're not born with it. You got to work it out. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. It's going to take some effort, but we can do it. We have to have self-control if we want to live the abundant life. We have to add it. So you're not born with it. Number two, uh, here's a hindrance, using your past failures as a measuring stick. Often we do that. Often we say, well, you know, I wasn't able to control it yesterday. You know, uh, I, listen, yesterday I got up in the morning and I said, you know what? I'm going to eat healthy all day today. You know what? I'm using eating. <laughs> it's not the only thing. Uh, but I'm going to eat healthy all day today. And uh, you start out good and lunchtime, you know, you have a little bit, you know, some sugar or whatever it might be. But you say, you know what? Uh, I'm going to get back on track. And then somebody invites you over and they have pizza and then you break down and you eat some pizza and you have a piece of cake and you do whatever it is that you do that fell off whatever wagon that you were on. And you say, man, I started out so well and it just turned out to be a bad day. So you get up the next day and instead of starting over, you just say, well, you know what? Uh, this is not working. I mean, I'm just, that's just not me. It's not going to happen. I I'm not going to do it. That's exactly what Satan wants. That's exactly what he, and then you know what he's saying when you do that? Man, this was too easy. All I needed was one day. All I needed was one time to fall off the wagon, and now look at them. They ain't even looking at the wagon, much less trying to get back on it. Now they don't even know where the wagon is. Come on. But God is saying, look, that's not you. I know you fell off of it, but that's not who you are. Get back on it. Get back on it. Come on, don't use your past failures. What did Paul say? You know this. You know it. In chapter 3, he said, so whatever it takes, I will be the one who lives in the fresh newness of life. This is a determination by a man who was just telling the Romans that uh, I would do good, but evil is always present. And when I uh, see, I want to do the thing that I want to do, but I don't do that, I do the other thing. And when I don't want to do that thing, I do this thing over here. He just told the Romans that, but now he's saying, guess what? I'm going to do whatever it takes. Now he's determined, I will be the one who lives in fresh newness, verse 11 through 14, of life of those who are alive from the dead. I don't mean to say that I'm perfect. Don't get me wrong, he's saying. I haven't learned all I should, even yet, but I keep working toward the day. You know what we're getting to, some of you. Uh, when I will be finally all that Christ saved me for and wants me to be. No, dear brothers, I am still not at all I should be but I am bringing all my energies to bear on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I reach, I strain, I strain, I strain, I reach, I try, I strain toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. That is that calling, uh, calling us up to heaven because of what Jesus Christ did for us calling me to a maturity, calling me to a place where I don't have to worry about self-control because I know I've added it. Come on. I will strain. I will reach. I will try. I will not give up. Don't, don't think about your past mistakes and how you failed in trying to add self-control. This is the day that the Lord has made. 
We will rejoice and be glad in it. No matter what's going on around us, no matter what the circumstances are, what we need to do, what we need to hear out of our own mouth are praises toward God. Come on, and a determination that Paul has right here. There are those who would say, I'm tired <laughs> of bumping my head against the wall. You ever heard that? You ever said that? I'm tired of bumping my head against the wall. But honestly... If you think about it, the truth about it is the wall may never come down unless you bump something hard against it. And for me, I can't think of anything harder than my head sometimes. So I'm tired of bumping my head against the wall, but the wall going to come down if I keep bumping it. Come on. <laughs> You'll never get your breakthrough unless you apply some force to that wall. You got to try it. The prophet uh, Azariah spoke to King Asa during a time of turmoil and trouble. The Bible says here in Chronicles 15, First Chronicles 15, that the one, uh, there, there was one nation uh, that was being crushed by another and one city that was being crushed by another. In other words, there was turmoil all around uh, because God was troubling them in every kind of distress. But he told, this prophet told Isa, and uh, I believe it's for you. Take this as your own. He said, but as for you, no matter what's going on around you, stuff is going on, politics, economy, world stuff, uh, sex trafficking, all kind of stuff is going on. Whatever's going on around you, he said, but as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. Do not give up. Don't look at past failures. And I'm telling you, if you would fight for self-discipline, if you would fight for self-control, that your work will be rewarded. I don't, I don't know what you did last week. Maybe you didn't read your Bible at all last week. Maybe you haven't read your Bible for three weeks. Maybe last time you opened it up, uh, you know, it was spring. I don't know what happened. But you know what? Yesterday doesn't matter. All that matters is today and tomorrow. What you going to do tomorrow when you get up? I don't care what you did. It, it, you can still open it. And if you, can't, if you don't have one of these, you got one of these. If you don't have one of these, you got a phone. You can get the scripture. Start now. Don't worry about yesterday. Start now. Move forward. And then the third hindrance to self-control is lack of purpose and goals. You've got to have a purpose. Have some goals in your life, even small goals. You know, I keep harping on this thing about losing weight. I don't know. We must, I must need to lose some weight. Many of you look skinny to me, but, uh, you know, I, I, losing weight. Have a goal. Uh, maybe you need to lose 35 pounds. Well, don't try to lose 35 pounds by Friday. Lose two pounds this week. Come on. I'm talking to me. I ain't talking to you. Look in the mirror. Say, well, let's, let's, lose, let's have a goal. I know, get off the weight thing, you know, I'm, whatever it might be. You know, maybe I'm an angry person and I, you know, I have a bad attitude. Well, let's just try it one day at a time. Just say today, today, I'm going to have a calm head. I am, going to, I am going to purposefully say nice things to other people as I go through the day. Whatever it might be, you know. And if you just can't do that, then go see Jody. Jody will help you. She, she, she can help you. I mean, she's got some instruments in her office. And so, I don't know what, yeah. <laughs> I don't know. She can help you. Whatever it might be, just say, look, I, I'm going to have a goal, and I'm going to reach that goal. Then I'll reach my next goal. Then I'll reach. Don't have a lack of purpose in your life, a lack of goals. If you don't set a bar, watch this. If you don't set a bar uh, for you to reach, then you'll never reach. Now, notice what I said. I didn't, I didn't say, if you don't set a bar, you'll never reach it. If you don't set a bar, you'll never reach. You won't even reach. Your arms will stay here. Set a bar. If you don't stretch uh, yourself, 
then there's nothing to reach for. Paul said in Philippians 3.14, I strain to reach to the end. I press toward the mark. I press toward the goal. One version even says, I run toward the goal, not walk. I don't get up and say, well, I'm just down there. I'm going to get there. All right. Hey, can you, can you give me a ride down to the goal? No. He said, I run toward the goal. I run. Some of us need to start running in our life. Set a goal and get there. James 1.12 says this, blessed is the one who remains steadfast. In other words, King James says, blessed is the one that endures temptation. L listen, what's, what's obviously lacking or obviously not there in that scripture. Blessed is the one who remains steadfast under trial for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God promised to him. He didn't say blessed is the one that side skirts temptation. I know I want to do that. I don't want to be tempted. Blessed is the one uh, that doesn't even see the temptation. No, blessed is the one that endures it, can look it in the face and go through it. Blessed is the one that's determined. Hebrews 12, 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. We need to have some self-discipline. Not discipline for others, self-discipline. Now let me give you three quick things about the importance of self-control, what it can do for us. Proverbs 16, 32, he who is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he who rules his spirit is better than the one that takes a city. Isn't that interesting? Better a patient person than a warrior. One with self-control uh, than the one who takes a whole city. Why would, why would uh, King Solomon say that? Why would God say that? I, you know, I love the warrior. I love the one who will take it at any cost. But you know what? There's something about the warrior sometimes. If the warrior doesn't have self-control, again, you don't know what the warrior going to do. Come on. The warrior might take the wrong city. Right? The warrior might kill the wrong people. Because the warrior, if the warrior has no self-control, he's a great city taker. Uh, but you, that's the city we wanted. You done burned down the house I'm living in. What you doing? <laughs> Say that to yourself. I, I've said that. I've had that. Now, come on. I, maybe it's just me. I know for me, I've said that. What did you do, dummy? Talking to myself. That's the thing we wanted. You and I, Michael. This is the importance that God puts on self-control. It's very important to him, and it should be important to you also. Uh, first of all, self-control helps you to focus. If you have self-control, you're not worried about so many other things. Life, is, yeah, life can be crazy, but you're not crazy. See what I'm saying? Let life be crazy. Just you don't be crazy. Self-control helps you focus. 2 Thessalonians 3, 1 and 2 says, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord uh, may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from the unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. We want to be focused. We won't, don't want to be like them. According to a 2013 study by Wilhelm Hoffman, people with high self-control are happier than those without. The study discovered that it is true because the self-disciplined subjects were more capable of dealing with goal conflicts. There was a marshmallow study done, believe it or not, back in the 60s at Stanford University, uh, four-year-olds. Four-year-olds were told... They were, they were put, there was a marshmallow put before them on the table right before them and said, listen, if you cannot eat this marshmallow for 20 minutes, then at the end of 20 minutes, you'll get two marshmallows. And so 20 minutes, 
Of course, there were some four-year-olds that didn't even hear what they, all they saw was the marshmallow. <laughs> words, 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 go. I don't even, I don't even know what you said. <laughs> and then, but some four-year-olds heard what he said. Now, I'm sure that 20 minutes seemed like an eternity because they wanted the marshmallow. <laughs> Come on. But they were able to restrain themselves. And so the, the study itself wasn't the amazing thing. But remember, this was done back in the 60s. Uh, so that this professor has been able to track these people throughout their life and found just what you might think. The, the, those who were able to have self-control at that time continued to be able to have self-control. And they were able to focus better in hard situations. They were able to make better decisions. Why? Because they were able to control their own emotions. They were able to make rash, rational decisions. We need to have some self-control. Yes, we are spiritual beings, and we are led by the Holy Spirit, and we should pray for direction from God. However, you shouldn't have to pray about issues, now listen, that deal with self-control. Here's why I say that. You might say, oh, no, now, see, you done gone too far. Uh, we need to pray about everything. I know, you do. You need to pray about everything. But issues about self-control, if you have to pray, listen, here's what I'm saying. If you have to pray whether or not to have a second piece of pie, then you're really asking God to justify me having a second piece of pie. You already know that. Come on. And that's what God is saying. Listen, I, you, you, it's good. I, I'm happy that you're praying. Yes, pray to me. I say pray to me. I'm going to tell you what you already know. No, don't do it. Don't say that to that person. You already know that. Come on. Self-control. And then number two, self-control is a learned behavior. It's a learned behavior. We said it earlier uh, that, you know, you're not, you just, you know, you're just not born with it. When I say self-control is a learned behavior, it means that you have to teach yourself to have it by practicing it. Come on. Self-control is like any other habit. It just doesn't develop automatically. You have to do it. It doesn't develop overnight. You'll have to persevere. You'll have to find out, uh, you know, that it's not an impossible behavior to develop. It requires practice and repetition in your day-to-day -day life. Galatians 5.24, Paul said, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. He told the church at Colossae, he said, You must put to death then uh, these earthly desires that are at work in you. And he told the Romans, listen to this, in the Amplified Version, chapter 13, verse 14. He said, but clothe yourselves with the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision. In other words, don't even think about glorifying the flesh in regards to its improper desires. Something you have to do. Two more. Number three, uh, self-control develops trust in us. When you're able to exercise self-control, you know that you can trust yourself. That's, I'm not talking about it develops trust that you can trust other people, but you're able to trust yourself. You're able to trust yourself. And then lastly, understand this, and please take this with you, self-control can be attained. Many of us don't have self-control because we don't understand fully that it can be attained. It is something that we can accomplish. We can do it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, Paul said, No temptation has overtaken you. You except such as is common to man. This, this passage of scripture said this before, but it's often mistook to mean that God will not put on you more than you can bear. Not true. Not true. And that's not what this scripture is saying. Uh, you know, God, through the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can bear anything. So as long as you have the Holy Spirit in you, then of course there's not much more on you. There's nothing more on you than you can bear. But God absolutely puts you in situations that you can't do it without him. 
Absolutely. That's not what the scripture means. But it's talking about temptation. There's no temptation uh, that will overtake you except it's common to everybody. It happens to every, everybody is tempted in this way. Everybody's tempted with food. Everybody's tempted with lust. Everybody's tempted with some kind of lust, whatever it might be. might not be the same thing. But everybody's tempted with something. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond tempted, beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. We're talking this morning about controlling our bodies. We must control it, our will and our emotions. We must be able to control them. Not God must control it, but we must control it. We like to say, well, I just turn it over to God. We do. We turn our situations over to God. We turn all of those things over to God. But our own emotions, we've got to be able to control them. Let me give you this last scripture. Romans 6, verses 11 through 14. Listen to what Paul said to the Romans. He said, likewise, you also reckon yourselves, reckon, that just means I consider myself, consider myself to be dead indeed to sin. And really what that word that's translated sin there means sinful nature not just dead to sin but I'm dead to my sinful nature understand the difference between that because uh, I mean it's just like a, a dog barks because because it's got that nature it's not his nature to meow <laughs> but you we sin because of the sinful nature so consider yourself dead to the sinful nature but alive to God in Christ Jesus therefore do not let you see listen to what he's saying you don't blame somebody else Again, I just remind you that I'm talking to myself so you don't think I'm beating you over the head. But you fall short. Don't blame somebody else. Well, you know, he shouldn't have said that. If he wouldn't have said that, I wouldn't have done what I'd done. Mm -mm. The devil didn't make you do it. There's no excuse. I'm just... Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lust. And do not present your members, your members. That, you know what that means? That's ownership. That means you control them. Your dog, your chair, your car, your house, your refrigerator, your fork, your arms. Come on. Don't, 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 don't let it rain in your moral body and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Here we go. For sin shall not have dominion over you because you are not under the law, you are under grace. 